Hello everybody and welcome to the first in a new kind of videos that I'm doing here on the channel. It's something that I've thought about doing for a long time and that is a ranking series. Now I've done these kinds of videos a few times before back when I was working at Screen Junkies and I remember when we'd done the videos and we'd released them and we'd gotten the feedback, I always had the same thought which was never again. I'm never doing a ranking video again. And I think it's because a lot of times people think when you're doing a ranking video, you're trying to make a definitive ranking. As if the people that are ranking whatever it might be, movies, you name it, are saying, here's the correct order, and if you like it differently, then you're wrong. And I wanna make it very clear as we go into this that that's not where I'm approaching this from. This is very much me saying, here's my order of these movies. I'm not trying to say that this should be your order of these movies. And really what this is more than anything is an avenue to open up conversation. I will promise you that there's going to be some placements here that you disagree with and that is totally fine. This is just having a little fun and talking about my personal preferences for these films. So what movies are eligible? Well, obviously all three Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, all three MCU Spider-Man films, both of Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man movies, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and then just for a little bit of fun, I also threw in Venom and Venom Let There Be Carnage because they do technically belong to a Spider-Verse. So we have 11 movies total. We're going to be going from 11 to 1. And without any further ado, let's start with the number 11 movie on my list, the bottom-ranked movie, and that is Spider-Man 3. Rewatching Spider-Man 3, I actually think the first 50 minutes or so of the movie are pretty solid. You have some great stuff between Peter and Aunt May. A man has to be understanding and put his wife before himself. Can you do that, Peter? Yeah, I think I can. And then you also have the stuff with Sandman. I think that his origin is pretty cool. The scene where he's in the collider and becomes sand, even though the graphics may not quite hold up, they're not atrocious. And I like that bank fight scene where they're in the armored car and it's filling with sand and Peter's getting punched with sand. I think that's one of the better fight scenes in the Raimi Spider-Man films. But then we get to the black suit Spider-Man stuff, the part with the symbiote. First we get Bully Peter or Bully Maguire or whatever you want to call it. Find us some shade. Thanks, Alex. I hear the argument that the movie is portraying what Peter Parker's idea of his dark personality would be. I just don't agree with it. And then we get to the parts with Venom and Eddie Brock. I like Topher Grace. I think he's been great in other movies, but it was not a good casting here. Hey, Parker. My God, Eddie. Ooh, my spider sense is tingling. <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. And so none of the Venom stuff really works for me, and none of the Harry and MJ stuff works for me either. First of all, you have this cliched story point of a character getting amnesia. Right now, he can't remember the accident or anything that happened to him recently. Is it permanent? And then we have this whole storyline where Harry and MJ kind of have this romance. The scene where they're cooking and dancing to the twist, which was like ancient even then. I, I get like secondhand embarrassment, honestly, for James Franco and Kirsten Dunst for having to do that scene because it just seems so unrealistic and dated, even by mid 2000s standards. Although I do have to give credit to the coffee shop scene between Harry and Peter because that pie eating did make a really good gif. How's the pie? So good. 
We also have the retcon with Sandman actually being Uncle Ben's killer. It all overwhelms the good stuff about this movie. I think that Spider-Man 3 is a really, really messy movie. But still, I think that it's a testament to the fact that you have a pretty solid franchise that even my least favorite movie still has some stuff that I enjoy in it. You'll get your rent when you fix this damn door! Coming in at number 10 is another Spider-Man sequel, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Much like Spider-Man 3, I also think that The Amazing Spider-Man 2 has some really strong stuff in it, in this case being all of the stuff with Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy. You're wrong about us being on different paths. We're not on different paths. You're my path. And you're always going to be my path. Garfield and Stone's natural chemistry, and then Andrew Garfield's heartbreaking performance when Gwen dies at the hands of Dane DeHaan's Green Goblin. Gwen... Gwen! No, please, please! That's really what puts this movie above Spider-Man 3 for me in these rankings. And again, it's not that I hate this movie. I just think that there's a lot more in this movie that doesn't work than does work. I don't think that Electro works at all. It's not now it's time for me to light my candles. I don't think that Dane DeHaan's Green Goblin really works at all, other than the whole magic blood thing. I need to find him. I need his blood. Which was a big thing as we were going into the mid-2010s. The only thing he really does is be responsible for Gwen Stacy's death. Harry threw down! Harry! Harry is dead! Paul Giamatti as the Rhino definitely does not work. And then we have the movie wanting to rush ahead and, and assemble the Sinister Six and set up all of these spinoffs, but they took their eye off of what this was supposed to be, which was continuing to build the character of Spider-Man. I think that Andrew Garfield really had some great Spider-Man movies in him. This is a wind turbine. You make this? No way. This is amazing. It's good as new, right? It's just that this one was so messy and did not connect with audiences and didn't make enough money at the box office for them to justify making another one. But as I said with Jamie Foxx, there was redemption coming down the line in a movie that we're gonna see later on in this countdown. At number nine on my list is another sequel, Venom Let There Be Carnage. I like the Venom movies more than most people. That has been very much established. I don't think that they're great films, but I have enjoyed both of those films. I cannot live on chicken and chocolate alone. I need brains. Chickens have brains. I most passionately disagree. When we're looking at the second Venom film, I think it number one does what it should have done, which is to double down on the Eddie-Venom relationship. That's what made the first Venom film so special for me in the sense that it was completely unlike anything else I'd ever seen. Oh, shit! much worse than I thought. And then you have Woody Harrelson coming in as Cletus Cassidy. Harrelson understood the assignment. He knew what kind of movie this was. Gifts first. Actually, traditionally. Shut your mouth, father. I wish that they could have gone more extreme with Carnage because it is a very extreme character. It was born out of the 90s. That's what you did. You made extreme characters. But I don't think that it's a total letdown after the first movie, and there are parts that I really did enjoy. More than anything, I think what I like about these Venom films is that they are super weird. Your costume is amazing! Thank you, one person! 
and just completely unapologetic about it, and that's that's refreshing. And that's why I have them above my bottom two Spider-Man films. I might have even given this one a little bit more of a boost before I saw No Way Home because of the end credit sequence. Right now, it seems like kind of a waste or maybe sort of a bait and switch, so that's why it's down where it is right now. That's the other thing about these rankings. They can always evolve over time. At number eight on my list is the first Venom movie. And let's be really clear, this movie doesn't work without Tom Hardy. Are you gonna, are you gonna eat anybody else? Most likely. He is as essential to the execution of Venom as Hugh Jackman was to Wolverine, as Robert Downey Jr. was to Iron Man, and that's because Tom Hardy likes to do crazy stuff. And I think that Ruben Fleischer was right to trust the actor that he had for the role and just let Tom Hardy go crazy, because in what other comic book movie are you going to laugh at your character getting into a live lobster tank? This could have gone disastrously bad, and some people would argue that it did. But it certainly didn't for me, and it all comes down to what Tom Hardy does as Eddie Brock slash Venom. You will be this armless, legless, faceless thing, won't you? Rolling down the street like a turd in the wind. So Venom is there at number eight, and from here on up in the list, we're going from mixed to positive. So everything from here on up, I don't really have so many mixed feelings about. It's just kind of a different degrees of good. At number seven is a movie that actually dropped a spot or two after I rewatched it recently, and that is Spider-Man Far From Home, which I had actually only seen when it came out theatrically back in 2019. I mean, I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, sir. Bitch, please, you've been to space. What I remember the most from the film were the Mysterio illusion sequences, and I think that really buoyed my opinion of the film quite a bit because I think that's some of the best Spider-Man stuff that's ever in any movie. I love the design on that. It really nails the aesthetic of that character and why he's so menacing to Spider-Man, and it just looks great. I also think that the action scene at the end of the movie at the Tower Bridge is really good. The game-changing reveal at the end with the return of J. Jonah Jameson. Spider-Man's name is Peter. Parker. And I think it was all of that that kind of in my brain had me saying, oh, this is maybe my favorite Tom Holland Spider-Man film previous to No Way Home coming out. But when I re-watched it, I think I noticed a lot more of the contrivances in the plot. And there's just so many conveniences and coincidences down to Talos posing as Nick Fury. Does that really work in retrospect when you're watching the movie back? There are definitely some high highs with this movie, but there's a lot of stuff that the rewatch really kind of tempered for me. I think if I made this list before I rewatched it, it would be one or two slots higher, but as it is right now, it's coming in as my lowest ranked Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. Next up is another film in the Tom Holland series, and that is his first solo venture as Spider-Man, although some would say it's a team movie, Spider-Man Homecoming. This movie is a lot of fun, and it doesn't hurt that you have a human charisma machine in Robert Downey Jr. that's also joining in. Don't do anything I would do, and definitely don't do anything I wouldn't do. There's a, there's a little gray area in there, and that's where you operate. But I think that the real power of this movie is the third act, at least the part where he's stripped of his Spider-Man suit. This is all I have. I'm nothing without this suit. If you're nothing without this suit, then you shouldn't have it. The scene where he's basically willing himself to get up and keep fighting is a really great early superhero scene where he's understanding that the power has to come from inside of himself. Come on, Spider-Man. Come on, Spider-Man. Come on, Spider-Man! 
The deciding factor on a lot of these movies, especially as we climb higher up, is the villain. And I don't think that the Vulture necessarily as a whole is one of the strongest Spider-Man villains, but Michael Keaton is great. And his best scene in the movie is actually when he's not in the bird costume, but when he is threatening Peter Parker. I'll kill you and everybody you love. I'll kill you dead. That's what I'll do to protect my family, Pete. That is such a great scene, and it has such menace, and it shows why you cast somebody like Michael Keaton for a part like that. Michael Keaton does elevate this movie, no doubt about it. I still really enjoy this movie a lot. It's just outside my top five, but as I said, as we get closer to the top, it's really just degrees of good, and I always enjoy rewatching Spider-Man Homecoming. So, you got detention. Climbing into my top five is another movie that I rewatched recently, and I'm glad I did because it actually moved up my rankings one or two spots instead of falling down like Spider-Man Far From Home, and that is Andrew Garfield's first outing as the web slinger, The Amazing Spider-Man. Is that a knife? Is that a okay. real knife? Yes, it's a real knife. My weakness, it's small knives. I initially had this movie behind both Tom Holland's first two Spider-Man films, and I think it's the lizard factor. The lizard was kind of weighing this movie down because I don't think that he's a particularly memorable villain. The Kurt Connors story is definitely a tragic one, but I think by the time we get to the third act, he's just sort of a generic monster. Poor Peter Parker. No mother. And that's really what stuck in my head was that like, well, I think the third act is kind of forgettable and, and, it, and it weighed everything down. But re-watching it, what got lost in that shuffle for me and what I think all of this talk about No Way Home is revived in a lot of people is just how good Andrew Garfield is in this role. Help! Hey, look. Just a normal guy, right? I think the fact that neither of these films did incredible business sort of was seen as a judgment on Andrew Garfield's performance at the time, and it really hasn't been until we get a little further away and we get some distance from it that a lot of people, including myself, have been able to see just how vulnerable and yet also funny he is. You would have me believe that he, in his spare time, is running around dressed up like a giant dinosaur. Not dressing up and not a dinosaur, he has transformed himself into a giant lizard. There's also some really cool visuals. This was a movie that was born out of the 3D era. I think one of the great byproducts of that was the fact that we got some of these first-person web-swinging shots through the streets of New York City. We don't quite see that kind of thing in any other Spider-Man movie. We also have the part in the third act where the crane operators all turn their cranes over the avenue. I think that that is my favorite way of showing how the city of New York rallies around Spider-Man. I think that's a very important part of his mythology, and I like how they illustrated that in this movie. Overall, despite a weaker villain, I think that this is a really enjoyable Spider-Man movie, and until recently was the movie that I also think did the best at showing both the pressure and the fun of being Spider-Man. That's what's at stake here. Not choice, responsibility. At number four is another, I guess, what you would call origin story. It's the movie that started it all, Sam Raimi's 2002 Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. One thing I will say is that this movie definitely feels its age. It's nearly 20 years old, and there are things from the wardrobe to the style, etc., that are starting to make it feel a little bit dated, but it's also a great telling of the Spider-Man story, which, as evidenced by the fact that the character's been around for nearly 60 years, is a timeless thing. 
I think this movie and The Amazing Spider-Man both nailed the basics of the character and the mythology behind him, but I'm putting Spider-Man here at number four for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think that the origin story in this film is cleaner. With Amazing Spider-Man, there was, again, sort of a trend to make everything interconnected, and so it was all part of this big conspiracy with Peter's dad and Oscorp, and he's doing all of this investigation. It got a little bit messy, and I think got a little bit in the way of his origin and also the tiebreaker kind of goes to the villain and if you're gonna make me choose between the lizard and Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin I'm picking the Green Goblin every single time but the one thing they love more than a hero is to see a hero fail fall die trying I think the appreciation for Willem Dafoe has really, really grown over the years. Yes, the outfit is silly. It's one of the things that dates the movie the most. But the performance has aged like a fine wine. There's only one who can stop us. Imagine if he joined us. As evidenced by the fact that nearly every single line that Willem Dafoe has has now been canonized as a meme. Harry tells me you're quite the science whiz. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. Tobey Maguire brings a softness and a vulnerability to Peter Parker that's different from what we got with Andrew Garfield and I think is unique to his version. We also have Rosemary Harris as Aunt May straight out of the comics. I think that she is a great classical interpretation of the character. Cliff Robertson as Uncle Ben, the same. I think that he's perfect for the tone that they're going for in this movie. And let's give it up for... J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. One of the best castings in any superhero movie ever. Spider-Man, hero or menace? Exclusive Daily Bugle photos. Menace? He was protecting that armor I'll tell you what, Atticus, you take the pictures, I'll make up the headlines, okay? All right? That okay with you? Yes, sir. Goody. I think a lot of 2002 Spider-Man really holds up, and its exclusion from the top three isn't really a judgment on its quality. I think it's that from this tier up, we're really, really, really talking about almost perfect Spider-Man films. You do too much. College, a job, all this time with me. You're not Superman, you know. At number three is the first Spider-Man sequel, Spider-Man 2, which up until a few years ago was far and away my favorite Spider-Man movie ever made. I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, even though sometimes we have to be steady and, and give up the thing we want the most. At its heart, I think this is a movie about conflict and the dangers and the costs of going after your desires, the sacrifices that are sometimes asked of you or the sacrifices that are sometimes tragically taken from you. With our hero, we have Spider-Man who sees the destruction of his life at the hands of his alter ego and makes the choice to walk away from the responsibility that defines him. And we see what those consequences are as well. Some poor soul got trapped on the fourth floor, never made it out. In the villain, we have Dr. Otto Octavius, who's played by Alfred Molina. It was so great to see him in this film and to see him return in Spider-Man No Way Home. He also sacrifices things, although not by choice. He takes on the responsibility of trying to make the world a better place. Safe, renewable energy, and cheap electricity for everyone. And is repaid in a cruel twist of fate by being turned into a monster. 
both of these characters are in conflict with themselves, which I think makes this movie really interesting at every turn. It props up this entire movie and it makes the scenes actually flow from one to the other and not feel like they're just fillers between big effects and fights. As silly as Tobey Maguire's face is when he is stopping the train, I also love and I talked about the role of the city of New York when he is unmasked and the city literally bears Spider-Man and puts him up on their shoulders. You see that respect and you see that reverence for him. He's just a kid, and older than my son. This is a complete Spider-Man story. It gives us full arcs for Spider-Man and Doc Ock. It advances the Spider-Man-MJ relationship. It deepens the relationship between Peter Parker and Aunt May. It also sets up what could have been an interesting storyline for Harry that unfortunately turned into omelets, chubby checker, and pie. And do the twist! Even given that, I like how he and Doc Ock work together in this film, and I can't really blame the sins of Spider-Man 3 on Spider-Man 2. Everybody has their favorite Sam Raimi Spider-Man film. Mine is this one. The power of the sun in the palm of my hand. At number two is a film that you may have heard of. It's called Spider-Man No Way Home, and it just came out. And a lot of people may say that this is recency bias, but I really don't think so. I struggled with where to put this, and I tried to look at different positioning and, and justify, could I put it at three, could I put it at four? And this was really the spot that felt right, because I love this movie. All the strengths that we've talked about in all of the other Spider-Man films are also on display here. I think that every one of the Spider-Man actors gives maybe their best performance in the role all in this movie. And No Way Home feels like the natural culmination of a seven-movie-long Spider-Man marathon with payoffs to setups that I don't think that the actors and directors at the time even knew that they were doing. I think that's one of the brilliant things that this movie does. It takes our love for these actors in this franchise, which now on film is almost 20 years old, and it collects these things, these villains, these storylines, etc. that we love, and then pays them all off in one movie. It improves some things. It gives us closure on other things. And it's not just a great MCU Spider-Man movie. It really is looking back at all of the Sony Spider-Man, at least in live action, and saying, let's do justice and service to every single one of these characters. And I think that it does. This is a love letter to Spider-Man fans, to Spider-Man villains, to Spider-Man heroes, to everything Spider-Man related. And when we look at the Spider-Man franchise, this is the one that I can't wait to return to and that I think I'm probably going to watch more than any of these other films except for one, and it is my number one choice. It's the only animated film that is in the Spider-Man franchise, and it's the first one to deal with the concept of the multiverse, and that is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. This could literally not get any weirder. It can get weirder. First and foremost, this movie is just so much fun, and it's because they had so many new avenues to go down. Kingpin's gonna send a lot of mugs after you, and I'm talking hard boys, real biscuit boxers. Can you fight them all off at once? Well, I, I haven't actually bought anyone. By choosing to center on Miles Morales, which had been a long-awaited move from so many people, the movie was able to open up so many new avenues. Having a Spider-Man that has a different outlook on life, that has a different background. You're the best of all of us, Miles. You're on your way. Just, just keep going. 
everything with Miles Morales is really bolstered by the sacrifice, the shocking sacrifice of Spider-Man Peter Parker at the very beginning of the movie. And then we get Jake Johnson coming in as Peter B. Parker. Again, this could have been something that fell flat on its face because he's out of shape and he's largely comic relief, but it works. Miles, you gotta unstick. What do you do to relax? Needless to say, I, uh, uh. Oh, for crying out loud. We also get immensely entertaining versions of other characters that are inside the Spider-Verse, including Haley Steinfeld's Spider-Gwen. I'm Miles. I'm Gwanda. Wait, your name is Gwanda? Yes. Nicolas Cage's Spider-Man Noir, and of course, John Mulaney's Spider-Ham. What a pig. I'm right here. Listen, if you told me before this movie came out that my favorite Spider-Man movie ever made would be the one that has Spider-Ham in it, I would have told you that you were absolutely nuts. But that's just how this movie works. It wins people over based on sheer charm and being just really good. Like it was my fault. You wouldn't understand. Miles, we're probably the only ones who do understand. Into the Spider-Verse is also just a beautiful movie. The animation style is fresh and vibrant and new. It wasn't like anything else that I'd seen, and yet it had that familiar feel of a comic book. In particular, Miles' first suit-up in his Spider-Man costume, where he's floating, basically, above the Manhattan skyline to What's Up Danger, I think is one of the most striking cinematic images of the early 21st century. And you may think that that's an overstatement, I don't think that it is. It is a shockingly beautiful image and one that has stayed with me since I saw the movie the first time and I've seen it many times afterward. It's just great filmmaking. It was a real pleasure to watch the word of mouth spread on this box office. I tried to be one of the critics that was out there just as soon as I could, telling people, go see this movie. I know it seems weird. I know it seems confusing that we've got a Venom and now an animated Spider-Man and a live-action Spider-Man, but trust me. And then even to watch it go from an underdog movie uh, for the Academy Awards to win the Best Animated Film Oscar, it was so richly deserved. And one of the few times that I have organically seen a movie that nobody had pegged as as the best animated film of the year that nobody predicted would be the best Spider-Man movie ever made. I'm still floored by this movie every time that I see it. There are a lot of really good Spider-Man movies. This one, in my opinion, is the best. It's the one that I enjoy watching the most. It has everything that you could possibly want, not just in a Spider-Man movie, but in a movie. And that's why it is at the top. So those are my Spider-Man rankings. Let's go over them one more time. At number one, I have Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. At number two, Spider-Man No Way Home. At number three, Spider-Man 2. At number four, Spider-Man. At number five, The Amazing Spider-Man. At number six, Spider-Man Homecoming. At number seven, Spider-Man Far From Home. At number eight, Venom. At number nine, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. At number 10, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And rounding out the list at number 11, Spider-Man 3. But what do you think? What are your favorite Spider-Man movies? Do you have Spider-Man 3 way higher? Let me know down in the comments below. As I said, this is not me saying this is a definitive list. This is my personal favorites, and I'll bet that you have your personal favorites as well. I'd love to hear what they are. 
Thank you so much for watching here on the channel. We are still doing a lot of stuff as we wrap up the year. If you'd like to keep up with what we're doing, you can not only watch us here on YouTube. If you check the description below, you can also check out the audio podcast channel. Everything I do here on YouTube will be available as an audio podcast. In addition to audio exclusive episodes that I drop from time to time, you can also check me out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dan Merle. What are some things that you would like to see me rank in the future? I'm a big Batman fan. I was thinking maybe Batman movies, but I also want to get into directors, people like Kubrick and Scorsese, even Alfred Hitchcock. That would be quite an undertaking, but it'd be kind of fun. Let me know. I will look at your suggestions and who knows, you might see it right here on the channel in the future. Thanks so much for watching. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you next time. Bye.